Um, as I was thinking of this passage, it reminded me of um, the 3rd of August, 2008. Uh, the 3rd of August, 2008 was when uh, Luana and I got married, and uh, it was in Cork Baptist Church. It was a very, very hot day uh, that day, and uh, I, was, I was quite nervous, uh, very, very nervous, and we had the, the room was packed in Cork Baptist, it was up the, the top of the church, and the guys, they started playing, and then they started playing, you know, the, the entrance music or whatever, the walk-in music, whatever that is, started playing that, and as I started, started playing, I was thinking, okay, she's, she's coming in, and I was getting more and more nervous, but they played the entire song, and nobody came in. Um, so then they had to start again when they got the nod again, and then they started the song again, and then finally they all walked in, and when I saw her, I thought, wow. Now, it was an amazing day, and it was an amazing moment, but we had decided a few months before our wedding that we would actually write our own vows, say our own vows. And I thought, you know, this is grand, I've got this, I'm not short of words, it will be fine. And what I thought for some reason, now I was 21, but what I thought for some reason was that I'll be okay, I love her, I'm never short of words, I'll just stand in front of her and say what I'm feeling in the moment, thinking that would be so, so romantic to do. But I was really nervous, and Luana went first. And as we were standing there, Luana went first to to give these vows that she had done, and she absolutely crushed it. She absolutely blitzed it and did a really good job. And as she's saying these beautiful, well-thought-out words, I am freaking out because I've I've got nothing, like, like ready to go, you know? So I think to myself, oh, what am I going to do here? And she finishes... And I say the words that come to my mind, thinking I've got this, but I didn't have it. I said something. I did say something. I told her I loved her. I did say those words, but it wasn't exactly what I wanted it to be. And so thankfully, the pastor in the church says, okay, a few months beforehand, you can do your own vows, but he said, I want you to share these ones. I want you to have the traditional ones as well. Thank the Lord he did that, because it meant on that day that I actually said to her something really, really meaningful. There are words that are familiar to all of us. I said this to her, I take you, Luana, to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death us do part. Those words were far better than the words that I had. Far better. And what I promised and committed before all the witnesses and before the Lord that day is that I am going to cherish and love this woman until the day that I die. Till I no longer have breath, I'm going to cherish and love her. And that is what this passage is about. This passage is calling on a son to cherish and love his excellent wife. That is what he is called to do. 
And so what I want to look at first, we're going to look at three things in this passage. I'm not going to look at all of the verses. We're going to look at some of the verses. We're going to see a wife's worth, a wife's work, and a wife's praise. The wife's worth, work, and praise. And first I want you to see in the first few verses, we'll stay here for a bit, is a wife's worth. Verse 10, an excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does not, she does him good and not harm all the days of her life. I want you to see first the worth of the wife. See those words, an excellent wife, a worthy wife who can find. And now that question, we shouldn't be thrown off by the question. The question is is not to say an excellent wife who, who, who can find her and the answer is nobody. That's not why the question is asked. The question is asked in this way, when you find the excellent wife, hold on to her. (laughs) Keep her with all you have. See her as worthy and, and precious in your sight. Hold on to her and keep her. She is excellent. Now, as Luana was reading this passage, you, you may have thought that is, that is an interesting passage for the modern ear to hear. And you know, when I've been preaching through Proverbs, um, I've got a lot of questions. So I have shared with some of my friends who are preachers and teachers, you know, you, you often ask, you know, what are you preaching through? And, and they'll say this, and I'll say this. And I said, Proverbs. And, and when, I, uh, when I say I'm preaching through Proverbs, there's, there's loads of questions that end up coming to people's minds like, like this. They will, they will ask me, well, what are you, what are you gonna, how are you going to handle it, right? Because Proverbs is very ordered from chapter 1 to chapter 9, you have the speeches of the Father and the Son, but after that, you have, you have all these sayings. So, people are asking, well, how are you going to handle that? And some people might do like character studies, and some people might do thematic studies, and what way are you going to handle it? That's what some people have asked. And then some people have asked, well, you know, how are you going to handle, like, knowing that we have children in the womb? How are you going to handle the adulterous woman passages, how, how blunt they are? How are you going to handle that? And then some people were asking me, you know, how are you going to handle discipline and the rod? That's what we tried last week. And then someone asked me, what are you going to do with Proverbs 31? Because the thought here is that Proverbs 31 is very restricting on a woman rather than freeing. But I don't see that at all, because this passage is actually a poem of praise to the woman. It doesn't restrict a woman. It it praises the excellent, godly wife. It, it It is a poem of praise, and the reason I say it is a poem of praise is because of how it is structured. In Hebrew, the first, the each verse begins with a letter of the alphabet. Verse 10 begins with Aleph, verse 11 begins with Bet, verse 12, Aleph, Bet, Vet, Vet, verse 12, I've learned it to a song, Aleph, Bet, Vet, Gimel, Dalate, that's how I learned it, that's the only way to learn it. And so what you've got in these verses is, is an acrostic poem, that's what it is. 
It is a, an acrostic poem of praise. So what we've got to remember is that these verses aren't, aren't prescribing exactly what women should do. They are describing and praising the character of a wife. It is a poem of praise, not something that is restrictive. And also what we need to remember about this poem when we look at the worth of a wife is that these are not the words of a man, but they are the words of a woman. If you look at uh, Proverbs 31 verse 1, it says this, the words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. Now, yes, they are the words of a man, a king, but they are the words that who taught him? His mother taught him. So, so what he is reflecting and recounting, this, this poem of praise that he is speaking and he is writing out are actually words from his mother. You see, his mother wants what's best for him. <laughs> and his mother is saying, if you find an excellent wife, hold on to her, treasure her. How? Verse 10, she is far more precious than jewels. His mother said to him, and now he says to us, when you've got a wife and when you've got a woman in your life, treasure her as more precious than jewels. Now, there are two figures in Proverbs that are supposed to be treasured more than jewels. The first figure is wisdom. Throughout Proverbs, you'll see treasure up wisdom, treasure up wisdom, treasure up wisdom. The second figure is the wife. Treasure her as more precious than than jewels. The worth of the wife is also reflected not just in how precious she is, more than jewels, but in the trust that we are to have of her. Verse 11, the heart of her husband trusts her. This is the goal of every marriage, and this is the goal of every husband that he would put, and wife, that they would put trust in one another. You know when trust was broken, it was way back in the garden. You know in the garden, they were naked and they were not ashamed. It was a perfect trusting relationship with no shame. Can you imagine a relationship like that, where there would be perfect trust and no shame whatsoever? That's what we're called to. And in our marriages and in our lives, we're, we're constantly building that trust, aren't we? That, that's what marriage does. We're, we're building trust in one another, trusting one another, letting one another into our lives. That's what we're called to do. And in all our relationships, it is this building of trust it is letting people in. It's what we're, we're called to do in the church, isn't it? This is why sometimes we're so tempted to pretend things that are okay, things are okay, because it's hard to trust people. Trust people with our stuff when things aren't okay. When I am feeling weak, when I am feeling tired, that's a, a difficult thing, but that involves trust. And so it is. With the excellent wife, you are to treat her as precious, and you are called to trust her with everything that you have. Often as men, we find this difficult. We don't like to let people in. Do you know why? It's pride. It's pride. I struggle with that sometimes, to, to, to let my guard down and to let Luana in and see actually what is going on. 
when I'm afraid, when I'm tired, when I'm lonely, when I'm angry. Man, we struggle with that to let people in, to, to trust people with how we're actually feeling. And so the call is to trust her. She is there for our good. What often happens in our relationships is this. There are relationships that are conditional relationships and relationships that are seemingly unconditional relationships. And so the unconditional relationships are those relationships that you might have in your, your, your family. You realize we're, we're blood. You're, you're like, you know, my children, they're stuck with being my children. It's uncondi- like it's there. You love each other. You're stuck with it. My wife, she, she, she stuck with me, you know, that day on, you know, 3rd of August 2008. That was it. She stuck there. Those are the unconditional relationships, but then we have the conditional relationships, and the conditional relationships are always based on a kind of a give-and-take basis. You give to me, I give to you. You give to me, I give to you. And the moment that the giving stops on, by one party or the other, the relationship stops. What can happen to us in our marriages and in our lives with the unconditional relationships is this. We spend all our time keeping up the conditional ones. Because we know that if we don't give the effort to the conditional relationships in our lives, we'll lose them. And we take advantage of the unconditional. Well, we've always got them there with us. We don't have to worry about that. That will always be there. And for husbands particularly, we're called to be careful with that. I'm called to be careful with that. That I will seek to continually invest in the most precious relationships that I have. They're precious to me. Do they see that in our lives? Men, we have to ask ourselves the question, does our wife know that she is precious to us? Does she know that she's valued and loved? Not just with our words, but with our actions. It's a question I've been asking myself this week. Lord, help us to value the unconditional relationships. Just because they're there every day, let's not take it for granted. Let's continue to love and cherish who God has given us. That's the call of the passage. When you find an excellent wife, cherish her. Cherish her. That's the wife's worth. Now look at the wife's work. The wife's work. And this wife, man, she is a busy wife. She is a, a busy wife. Look, look at her willingness to work, verse 13. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She, she is a willing worker. She, she is not lazy. She does not hold back. Now, now this passage isn't prescribing the details of what every wife and woman should do. It's not saying, hey, all women, get the wool and the flax. This is your job. Get all the wool and the flax. That's a misreading of the passage. That's not what the poem is getting at. The poem is getting at that she's a willing worker. Whatever job she has before us, she's, she, before her, she is willing to work and she puts her hand to it. She is diligent in her work. That's what the poem is conveying. She's diligent in her work, her willingness. 
Then look at her shrewdness in her work. Look at verse 16. She considers a field and buys it with the fruit of her hands. She plants a vineyard. So she works hard, she earns money, she buys a field, and when she buys the field, she plants a vineyard to produce more money. She is is shrewd in her dealings. She is a good steward of her money. And so in that way, the wife is perfecting and showing the wisdom that Proverbs is calling us all to. She is handling her money well. And again, this is a poem. It's not saying, hey, go and buy a field, plant a vineyard. That's what all women are called to do. No. It's saying she's prudent and wise with her funds and and invests them well. That's her willingness to work. That's her, her shrewdness to work. And then who does she work for? When she works, she works for her family, verse 15. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She, she works for her family, and she also works for her neighbor. Look, look at verse 20. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. When she works, she works willingly she works hard, she works for her family, and she works for her neighbors. She works for the poor. She is considering others above herself. She is not only looking out for her own interests, but she is also looking out for the interests of others. It reminds me of the, of the, of the women in, in the Gospel of Luke where there's these women recounted in the Gospel of Luke that actually provide for the ministry of Jesus and His disciples with their funds. They use their money well and wisely. And then notice the clothes that she wears as she works. Verse 25, Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. When she works, she works diligently, shrewdly, for her family, for the neighbors, and when she works, the clothes that she wears are strength and dignity and kindness. She's grounded in the Lord and she lives for Him. She works for Him. She is all about Him. And notice what she does. She laughs at times to come. She seeks her strength in the Lord, and she laughs at the times to come. And what happens there is you have a woman here, you have a wife here, who could look at times to come, who could look at the future and say, that's anxiety, that's fear, that's all of those things. But when she looks at the future, she laughs. She trusts ultimately in the Lord for the future that is before her. She leans on Him. This is her work. That's an industrious woman, isn't it? But what she is called to, what the wife is called to, to be honest, is what all of us are called to. 
All of us are called to live lives that are industrious. All of us are called to live lives that are honoring and pleasing to the Lord. All of us are called to live lives that work, and when we work, to work for Him and not for ourselves. This is nothing that is unique to this woman or to a wife. It is for every Christian. And what the mother is calling her son to do is look for a woman that that works for the Lord. And it is a calling on all of our lives. Paul in um, Colossians, he's talking to slaves primarily. And what he says to them about their work, he says, whatever you do, Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work with your whole heart as working for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus and not men. This is who we're called to serve. So everybody, be it a, a, a wife or a husband, everybody is called to diligence in our work. This is the call of Proverbs. This is a wise life to live. Proverbs speaks against the lazy life and speaks to a life of work. Proverbs 10 verse 4 says, Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. Proverbs 10 verse 5, He who gathers crops in the summer is a wise son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. Proverbs 12, verse 24, diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in slave labor. Proverbs 14, verse 23, all hard work brings profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Proverbs 28, verse 19, he who works his hand will have abundant food, but the one who chases fantasies will have his full of poverty. Remember, these are general truths, not guaranteed truths. And yet, what is the message behind the Proverbs? Don't be lazy. Work diligently. And so, this is the wife is a model not only to wives, but also to all of us. In verse 27, you you see this model of what, what it says of her. It says, verse 27, she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. She works. She's diligent at it. And she does all of it for the Lord and the glory of His name. I often wonder, I think of... Um, uh, Charles Spurgeon, you know, and Charles Spurgeon gets all the headlines for all the work that he did and his preaching. But the women recently, they were going through 12 faithful women, and and one of the women they looked at was Susanna Spurgeon. My goodness, she was a busy woman too. She, she creates this book fund and tries to send books to all these pastors so that they will have libraries. She's very charitable in her work. She supported her husband and, and all of this stuff that she does, her publishing work, she saw that, that his works got published after her death. She was an industrious woman used by the Lord. And I often think to myself, my goodness, can you imagine visiting their house? They must have been so busy so busy. They must have finished their day and been tired. And I actually think that's not a bad thing. 
for us to finish our days tired. Why? Because we've spent the whole day working, not for money, not for men, but for the Lord. And my goodness, if you're going to work for Him, what are you going to do? You're going to work hard, you're going to work well, and you're going to give Him glory when you rest at the end of the day. It's all for Him. So what this is going to mean for our lives and for our households is probably this. When all of us get home and when all of us finish our day, guess what? You're going to be tired. And that mightn't be a sign that you're living an unhealthy life. That might be a sign that you're actually living a productive life for the Lord. And of course, of course, there is overworking. Of course, there is that reality. But we're called to do that in this life, to work and work hard and work for Him. Constantly, I feel what we're, what we're attempting to do is try and take the tiredness out of our life. <laughs> I just want to take the tiredness out of my life. Guess what? In this world, you're not going to take the tiredness out. You're not going to take it out. No holiday that you take is going to fulfill that, that longing for, for rest and that tiredness that, that you want to get rid of on this earth since the fall. Work was always good. Work was there before the fall. But after the fall, what was going to happen with work? This is going to be tiring. You can't take that away. One day when we get to heaven, we're going to work. And guess what? We're not going to be tired. We're going to work. We're going to enjoy all the good parts of that work, and you're not going to be tired. But on this earth, at the end of the day, at the end of our work days, we're going to be exhausted. And that's okay, because we are working ultimately for the Lord and not for men. And all of us in our heads are saying, but, 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 the day of rest, the day of rest. Isn't there a day of rest? Yes, yes, there's six days of work. <laughs> There is a day of rest. There's six days of work. And I think also, that's not only a call for us to be industrious, but there's also a caution in, in the passage. And I think you see the hint of that caution in that not only is the wife called to an industrial life and we're called to an industrious life, but there is an, a, a caution for the wife not to neglect herself. Because the wife is always focusing on others, always thinking about the interests of others. But look at what it says of the wife in verse 21. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She, she makes sure they, they all have clothes. And then verse 22, she makes bed coverings for who? For herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. It's fine clothes. It's expensive clothes. She makes bed coverings for herself. In other words, yes, she is very industrious. Yes, she does all this work. Yes, yes, my son, this is, this is the woman you're to look for, but she does not neglect herself. And I think that's a really important thing that we often miss. You know, Paul in Philippians, when he says, do not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. What does that presuppose? You're going to look after yourself in some way. Man, I'm glad you're all dressed today. I'm really glad you're all dressed today, and I'm glad I am too. What were you doing? You looked after yourself, at least a little bit. 
didn't really have breakfast maybe, or you forgot to brush your teeth or whatever else, but you looked after yourself. That's an okay thing to do. That's a good thing to do. Not neglect ourselves. And that's what the wife is called to do as well. Yes, work hard. Don't forget about yourself. And I think as men, as husbands, we have a unique role to help our wives to look after themselves. (laughs) We have a unique role to help them. And so what that unique role might look like is that we might give our wives, I might give my wife, we might give our wives some space, some time to themselves, some, some time of rest. It's possible for men to mind their children. Possible. It's possible for men to feed their children. I'm not going to feed my children well, I'll be honest, but I can feed them. It's possible. It's possible for me to give them a shower. It's possible for me to put them to bed. That is possible. And I wonder, are there times that we could free up our wives more, more, to make it possible that she would not neglect herself, that she could look after herself, even look after herself spiritually. Maybe even when the women are meeting on Tuesday night, Maybe we as men could provide a space for our wives to go and and fellowship there. Provide the space. Put the kids to bed that night. Get the frozen pizza (laughs) if you have to. But provide the space for her to not neglect herself even spiritually. Get the rest. That's the caution. So that's the wife's worth, the wife's work. And finally, the wife's praise. Look at verse 28. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you, you surpass them all. (laughs) Here's what this poem is doing. This, This wife you know, in the acrostic poem, the whole alphabet, she's not the A, B, C. She's the A to Z. That's who she is. She surpasses them all, and she's worthy of praise. And I would encourage the children here and the husbands in the household to verbalize praise to their wives and the women in the house. Man, There's sometimes, sometimes, (laughs) the dinner comes, we pray, we thank God, and I chow it down. I chow it down, and I forget, she's worked hard to do that. Let's articulate that. I forget to do that sometimes, but we should articulate praise. The children should say, thank you, mom, for what you're doing. The husbands should say thank you. There was this family in the States that we knew of. They had, they had loads of kids. Um, the husband, he worked hard, and the wife, she happened just to work at the home, and what she did was she cooked meals for, for all these kids, loads of kids, and she would cook the meal, and they would get the table ready. They would put out all, all the food, and everybody would get ready, and they would sit around the table and then they were a Christian family, so after they got the plate, they would, they would pray. 
they would pray, and then after their prayer, do you know what they did? After their prayer, they would pray, thank God, all of them would <laughs> clap. They would look to the mom, and all of them would clap. Now, I'm not telling you all to clap, and it might be a bit cheesy, but the reality is, what were they doing? Thank you. Thank you. Do you know, in my experience, women, wives, they actually don't ask for that much. They don't. They're incredible. They don't ask for that much. But just a, a little bit of recognition, a little bit of thanks, man, that would go a long way. That's what we're called to do. Praise. If you get an excellent woman, if you get an excellent woman, don't take her for granted. Praise. Praise. And what is most praiseworthy about this woman? What is most praiseworthy about this woman is not her shrewdness. It is not her industriousness. It is not, um, you know, the way she buys up the field and all that kind of stuff. That's not what makes her most praiseworthy. What makes her most praiseworthy is her fear. Verse 30 says, Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but <laughs> the woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. What is most praiseworthy about a godly woman is that she fears the Lord. All of this is grounded in the fear of the Lord. So we're not front-ending our work, our industriousness, whatever. The one thing that we need to get sorted, not just women but men, is that ultimately we begin with what? The fear of the Lord. That's where it all starts. That's where all wisdom begins. How did this book begin? Chapter 1, verse 7, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The end of the father-son speeches in chapter 9, verse 10, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Son, find a woman who fears the Lord and praise her for it. Fear the Lord. And what is the fear of the Lord? It is a life that lives with overwhelming awe for who God is, consumed by Him, overwhelmed by Him. Do you know, have you seen um, when like a young fan sees a famous person for the very first time, they go like crazy and nuts? Have you seen that? They almost faint. They're going crazy and nuts. What's happening there? They're not afraid of the person. They're not fearful of the person. What's happening? There's this overwhelming awe. I can't believe I've just... I can't believe. There's this overwhelming awe. You see, what happens as human beings, we're actually... When I see that, what I realize is this. We're made for that. God created us to do that. There's something in us that when we see something, somebody we're in awe of, we kind of tremble and I can't believe what I'm seeing. If you were to see all of the glory of God, I tell you what, you would tremble with the fear of the Lord. It is overwhelming awe. And that is what the wife is called to. A life of overwhelming awe. That's what all of us are called to. A life 
that fears the Lord. What a rich book Proverbs is. It begins with a father-son speech. Fear the Lord. It ends with a mother-son speech. And her son was a king. What was the message? Fear the Lord. And so what the father longs for the son is that he would live in wisdom and fear the Lord. And what the mother longs for her king is that he would live in wisdom and fear the Lord. And what we have in the Scripture is the Son of God and the King of kings who lived in ultimate fear of the Lord and wisdom. And so we seek to trust in Him as we live a life, as we live a life full of overwhelming awe. That's my best effort at the book of Proverbs. <laughs> That's eight books down, 58 to go. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the wisdom that we have in this book. Lord, I pray that we would be people who live with overwhelming awe to honor and glorify you in all we say and do. I pray for the wives here and the women here. I pray, Lord, that you would lead them to live lives that are honoring and pleasing to you, that they would ultimately fear the Lord, that we would not work to seek to earn your favor, that we would already know that we have it and that we would work for you. I pray for the men here, including myself. Help us, Lord, to cherish our wives. Help us, Lord, to cherish the women we have in our lives. Help us, Lord, as children. I pray for the children. May they be quick to praise their mom. I pray that our household will be full of praise for the ones who work well in our home. And ultimately, that our homes would be praise and honor to you. In your precious name, amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Let's